raindrop reflecting on the water as the sun shuts her eyes. Don't know why you uncover. Watch the tide rolling with the moonlight. Everything is silent on this wheezy piano. Hey, you are listening to Missing Magnolias. I'm Scarlett. And I'm Michelle. And we've got a really cool case for you guys. We're going to take you down history a little bit. I knew nothing about this. Michelle, did you know anything about this prior? We grew up here. We didn't, this is a point of history and we knew nothing about. I had no idea. I'm also an Italian American and it never crossed my radar before. Me too. Wow. We have so many similarities. (laughs) Interestingly, I know that we, um, the way that we're recording these, you know, it's going to be later down the line, but uh, just this past weekend, we came up on the anniversary of this event on March 14th, 1891, 11 Italian American immigrants were lynched in the city of New Orleans. And interestingly, it wasn't until 2019 that the city of New Orleans officially issued a proclamation of apology to the Italian American community. So this is an incident that we grew up and we didn't know anything about. And it's very possible you could live in New Orleans and not know anything about this. I was just recently in New Orleans and I should have even looked. I think you can go to the where the parish prison used to be. I'm not even really sure if there's a plaque even. So this is like a footnote that's just basically gone off our radar. When you start learning more about it, it's just was really, really atrocious. It was really horrible. And if you have HBO Max, you can watch this movie. It's called Vendetta. And it stars Christopher Walken. And I think it was released in maybe the 90s. It's based on the book Vendetta by Richard Gambino. And it tells you the whole history. And it, it Actually, the movie holds up. I watched it recently. Hopefully, Michelle will get a chance to watch it, too. It's pretty good. It has Christopher Walken, plays one of the key players. He plays a plantation owner. And that's part of this whole story is that the Italian immigrants were threatening the power of the existing plantation owners in New Orleans. And it's 1890. The Italians had come in basically to replace the workforce after slavery had ended. So you have kind of an interesting mix of the Reconstruction era as well as kind of New Orleans politics. So I guess let's just give you kind of a summary of what happened. This whole event was started following the murder of Police Chief Hennessy on the evening of October 15th, 1891. Italians and Italian-Americans were rounded up by the hundreds. Some of these men were held at the old parish prison for trial. The closely watched trial of a number of these men resulted in acquittals and mistrials. A large crowd of New Orleans citizens were unhappy and marched, and they broke into the parish prison, and they were armed with rifles, and they, like a firing squad, murdered them. Living or not, they then hung them up on posts, on trees, and basically lynched them, and then the crowd used them as target practice. There were 19 total people that were on trial for this murdered police chief, and 11 were actually lynched. It's a shame. What we had here was a very well-respected police officer who also had a lot of enemies who also, if you really dig deep into it, had a pretty shady past, who was killed. And there weren't really any witnesses, right? Like he was, he had another police officer that heard the gunshots and came running, but 
other than that, that's it. He was the only one. And so because of the tensions at the time, it seems to be that we just had this momentum of angry white people looking for someone to blame for their problems. And that's exactly what it is. The murder of the police chief was never actually solved. These people, these Italian immigrants, that many of them were shoemakers or peddlers that had vegetable and fruit stands, most notably was Joseph Macheca, who was said to be the most powerful Italian in New Orleans. He had ties to the shipping line that provided the produce for what we know as the French market. The Italians were increasingly gaining power as people like Joseph Macheca, as well as the immigrants. They were hard workers. They also, it was interesting to learn from reading the book that they took the land that the landowners didn't want because they couldn't till it. They didn't have the farming techniques. The Sicilians were really, came from austere farming conditions. So they were really adept farmers. And so they basically, they made their own gardens and Therefore, they didn't have to be in debt to some of these general stores. They could work and then also make their own food. Absolutely. And what we see here to me is just an example of what we've seen over and over and over and over again in history. But each time it happens, we act like we're surprised, right? We see these group of people who come in searching for a better life, who work really, really hard to achieve their goals. They're throwing scraps and they make something out of nothing. Doesn't that sound like us Cajuns, right? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) You take the stuff nobody else wants and you make something delicious. But that's essentially what they did. They made something out of nothing and then they started to gain momentum and they started to buy up land and shops and uh, they started to really have some control over the community, which angered a lot of people. By and large, they weren't doing anything illegal from all the records that we can see. They were law-abiding, hard-working individuals. But the narrative started to spin that they were unfair or cheaters or all of those terrible phrases we use for people when we're scared of them. It should sound really familiar to all of us today because we still use those types of phrases. They took this opportunity of this dead sheriff to really level the playing field. It's so sad that this is not more known and explored, but it's at this time that the term mafia, or I believe that as they were calling it, mafia, kind of came into circulation in the U.S. And historians started retroactively with any crimes in any newspapers. If the perpetrators were Italians, they just started connecting it to the mafia. And that's kind of what we saw here is that fear of the Italians or bigotry towards them and tried to tie it to a larger organized crime syndicate by saying the mafia did this. It's kind of a fear-mongering. So you had the people in New Orleans, they kind of used that against them. You have all these immigrants that are coming from other countries, and it's only the criminals. That was what was used here. It was sad to see. And the only evidence that it seems to be that we had that the mob, as they called it, or that any Italians were involved, was the last words of the police chief. Only one person heard those last words and they were muttered, not exclaimed. And so there's some controversy as to whether or not he even said that or whether or not it meant that he saw the people who were shooting at him or he just assumed that's who it would be. We just don't know. There's little to no evidence, which is why many of the people that they arrested and tried were mistrials or acquittals because they didn't have any evidence. 
the night that the police chief was shot, I think he had three shot wounds. It was super foggy and rainy, and we all know what Louisiana fog is like. And then you're in New Orleans, it's industrial. You probably couldn't see like two feet in front of you. So they couldn't make out the faces of the offenders that shot him. Well, we have no idea who committed the crime, but just in the same way we do over and over again, we blame a group of people for a larger problem. And I think this case really reminded me of when I talk about uh, communities in crime and some of the classes that I teach about social disorganization. And it was about the 1940s with the Chicago school that did some research on delinquent boys in these urban cities, most notably Chicago. They were looking at the turn of the century, so around the 1900s. So they're looking back at this time frame, like, 40 years ago into 1940 to try and figure out like, why are there so many delinquent offenders around here? And over and over again, their research was telling them that it it wasn't a people problem. It was a place problem, right? That these communities, these very urban communities where all of these different people are squished together, uh, create crime. We have these zones where people live. And the wealthier you are, the further you live away from the central business district. And a lot of that crime is occurring right on the other side of that central business district because it's all kind of different people fighting for resources. And a lot of people who had sold everything that they had to get over to this city to live this American dream are all squished together, desperately vying for limited resources. That breeds crime. And what they saw over time is that it didn't matter who lived in these communities, the communities were still crime ridden. So Polish immigration came in in these communities and crime was high. And then when the Polish community had worked hard and had earned money in what used to be the American dream, they were able to move out of that community. And then what happened next? Oh, the Italians moved in or any group of individuals with different ethnicities. Every time they would move into this zone of transition, they would experience high crime rates. But the crime didn't follow them when they left. So we began to notice that it's not a people problem, it's a place problem. And I think New Orleans is a really good example of that as well, right? We have lots of people from different backgrounds trying to succeed in this time frame. And it's incredibly criminogenic. And also, instead of like realizing that it's the context, we focus on the ethnicity of those individuals, right? We say they're the problem. And this was just another iteration of that, in my opinion. It's very interesting where we are now and to review some of these darker moments in history. They acquitted these Italian immigrants because they had nothing to hold them. They had nothing to tie them to these crimes and they were held in the parish prison. The mayor then released, which is hard to even imagine, in the newspaper, come gather at the statue of Henry Clay for come get justice. And like 10,000 people showed up. And then those people marched to the prison and the prison guard couldn't fend off an angry mob. So he let them out of their cell and said, fend for yourselves and then opened the doors and the mob came in with guns and gunned them down one by one and then strapped them up to trees and posts and everyone took shots at them. That kind of hatred, it's just so crazy. It's absurd and barbaric. And we think that, oh, thank God, it's been so many years from that with such a civilized people, but we aren't. We see versions of that all the time. We saw it with the insurrection. We see it with our mass shootings. And this was just so detrimental to the Italians that were still living in New Orleans. 
they were using their wages to help pay for their family back in Sicily, because that's why they came, right? Here, the sugarcane was super lucrative, and actually they already knew how to farm sugarcane because of the Portuguese in Sicily. So they were adept farmers, they were adept fishermen. They really had a good shot here, and they were able to support their family and even sometimes bring them over. So it's terribly sad that what this must have done to the psyche for this community And I even read that after it started to be common for people to say, who killed the chief? This didn't end in 1891. It just continued on. Absolutely not. And there were several other lynchings across the United States of Italian-Americans as well, which may or may not be backlash from what happened in New Orleans. And, you know, we had a group of people who were willing to come into America and work hard and do things that perhaps many Americans were unwilling to do at the time. And if this doesn't sound familiar to you guys, I don't, you must not have been paying attention to the news for many years. But then we vilified them, right? We said, oh, these are horrible, terrible people. They're murderers. They're rapists. There's something wrong with them. And the news, the newspaper articles were just spewing all of these different rumors and pushing forth this narrative when we think of the turn of the century and the creation of these urban communities, New Orleans probably occurred even earlier than some of our northern communities that we're more familiar with. We don't have race in the same way that we, it's not the same construct as it is today. So all of the ethnicities had their own biases in our system, right? We talked about Italians in a certain way, about Polish people in a certain way, about Irish people in a certain way. Everybody had their racial slurs and their biases and all that kind of stuff. As we start to see things move along and we get into the 1960s with race riots, Black people fighting for a semblance of human rights, we see this uh, distinguishing between the white races to disappear, right? We stop using all of those different ethnicities and we start focusing on this black versus white thing. And that becomes all of what race is and us versus them, all the white people together, all against all of the black people. But for a long time, it wasn't like that. And I think it's hard for us to imagine because we didn't grow up in a time where that, that was a thing that occurred. But we've always been trying real hard to organize group and then persecute groups of people. I guess it's maybe also worth noting now what was really striking about this case. And Michelle, you could probably speak more to this. We've talked about it in some of our other episodes. It's just in how things are portrayed in the media. This was so shocking to read because this racism wasn't singular to New Orleans. This was across the country at the time. For whatever reason, there was just so much bigotry towards the Italians. So I'm just going to read you just to get a sense what some of the newspapers were saying about this incident. So the future president, Theodore Roosevelt, he was then serving on the United States Civil Service Commission, wrote a letter to his sister, Anna, on March 21st, 1891. He said, personally, I think it a rather good thing. The whole quote was, Monday we dined at the Camerons. Various Dago diplomats were present, all much wrought up by the lynching of the Italians in New Orleans. Personally, I think it a rather good thing and said so. He later sort of recanted that. And then Dago was the term that Michelle had mentioned was a, a slur at this time for the Italians. The New York Times would publish... They said these sneaking and cowardly Sicilians, the descendants of bandits and assassins who have transported to this country the lawless passions, the cutthroat practices, 
and the oath-bound societies of their native country are to us a pest without mitigations. These men of the mafia killed the chief Hennessy in, in circumstances of peculiar atrocity. Lynch law was the only course open to the people of New Orleans to stay the issue of a new license to the mafia to continue its blood practice. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's a good sense. We mentioned that New Orleans officially apologized in 2019. The New York Times never issued any kind of recant or apology on that. As a media researcher, I um, often find myself being very critical of the news because that's sort of my job, to pay attention to the way that we talk about these things. The media has so much power, right? It always has. It's this dominant way in which we learn about the world around us. It's a big part of our existence, and it shapes how we perceive the world. We see it in our local news that's more likely to cover cases where Black people are perpetrators and white people are victims, despite the actual statistics. We see it in the national news when only our missing white kids get coverage, right? We see it everywhere and we always have. And we still think that it's a new thing, right? Social media is just our new way to interact with the news. But the power it has in our the conversations that we have and the things that we care about and the way we perceive the world stays the same. That hasn't changed in any meaningful way. And there's many arguments about what exactly the role is of the news uh, or the media. Does it reflect uh, the consumer's perceptions of the world or does it tell the, the consumers what to think? And uh, by and large, I think we're, we see that it reflects perceptions of the world, right? Because we consume it. If we didn't like it, maybe we wouldn't. And then they wouldn't make money and then they cover other things. But all of the fear-mongering that we see today sells, and it sold then, and I just don't optimistically see that changing anytime soon. It's very interesting, the role of the media. It's supposed to be for the people, and we've seen it used then and used now. It's not changed a lot, but like you said, it reflects the milieu and the attitude of people, and it can control and shape and have real impact on real lives. Absolutely, every day. This is just another example. And we'll continue to see it until we decide to change. But like most of our social ills, the only way we'll see any meaningful change is if we are willing to look within and be critical of ourselves, which we are wholly and entirely unwilling to do. And so we are destined to repeat the cycle again and again. Well, I think I'll like try to end it on a lighter note. So Columbus Day had no idea that this was kind of a passing nod, not even a great response. So President Benjamin Harris the next year declared Columbus Day, and it was only supposed to be for one day. And it wasn't necessarily as an apology, but I think it was almost like a PR move because I think everyone at some point had to acknowledge how bad this was. So it was supposed to acknowledge the contribution of Italian immigrants and the reason they chose Columbus out of all the other Italian figures was because 1892 was the 400-year anniversary of 1492. Because such a terrible thing happened, here's this good thing where in which we'll celebrate this far more terrible person, one could argue. We should have another holiday. We should actually let people know this happened and maybe choose somebody else. I don't know. It would be great to still have a holiday to acknowledge the contributions Italian immigrants have made. And if you ever go out to New Orleans for people that are not local, 
be sure to get a mufalata at Central Grocery. That's uh, from the Sicilian influence. It's a really great sandwich, French bread, and some really great cold cuts. You could stop by the Hotel Monteleon. It's this really beautiful hotel. And at Christmas every year, they have, I think they have the carousel bar, which is pretty famous inside. It's really beautiful. But I didn't know it was established by a Sicilian shoemaker and is now one of the most lavish hotels in New Orleans. And another influence, St. Joseph Day Altars, I didn't know, which are very central to the New Orleans landscape. That was another Sicilian influence. Yeah, there's lots of wonderful Italian influences in New Orleans. And I think that's part of why we all tend to love New Orleans so much is because it's such a mix of all the different ways in which these ethnicities influenced us. And definitely go get a muffalata. There's a beautiful statue, and I only know from going down the rabbit hole. And next time I go, it's a statue for the immigrants. I think it was made by an Italian sculptor, and it's beautiful. And maybe I can put it on our social media. It's gorgeous. So that's really nice that that's there. Yeah.